this. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody with his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. Gather in this way. I look forward to next week when we're back together in God's house uh, all together. So uh, just a few announcements. We will gather next week here in the building at 1015 uh, to worship once again together. So we also will have online services, uh, but our desire, our hope, mine and the deacons as we've been praying and seeking God is that we would uh, come back uh, here to uh, the church and worship and gather again. Uh, so that's next Sunday, uh, January the 24th at 1015. 
we will still have social distance. We still will have masks and we'll uh, be taking temperatures when you come in the door. Uh, the adults will be here in the sanctuary and the children will be down in the children's wing. So again, 1015 uh, here next week. Uh, also, uh, the business meeting uh, for February will be February the 10th. We will resume our business meetings as we did not have one this past month. We will have one in February, February the 10th, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Also, uh, if you are joining us, we will have in service uh, in, the, in the building this, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, but we are going through a book called Praying the Bible. If you need a copy of that, please email me or Tracy or text me and we'll get you a copy of that book. Uh, this semester we want to learn how to pray. And so often we are distracted in our prayers and so we're going to read that book together. We're going to discuss that book together. Uh, so if you need a copy of that book, it's called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Uh, text me. Email me or Tracy and we'll get you a book as fast as possible. Let me pray for us this morning and then we'll jump into this morning's sermon. God, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach your word. Your word is with all, has all the authority. Your word is the thing that you've given to us that brings life to us. It reveals your character, your nature to us. It also reveals our nature and our character to us. And it reveals that we need a great Savior because of our inadequacies, our insufficiencies, ultimately our sin that separates us from you. And so God, I'm grateful for your word that is inerrant, it's inspired, and is without error. It's infallible. We're grateful for that. And so open our minds. to receive from your great word this morning. So lead us. We offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice to know your acceptable will for our lives. And so we ask that you do that for us this morning. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. We are in Genesis chapter 40 this morning, um, but there's this thing that's been rumbling around in my mind and my heart for the last several months, probably uh, the more I reflect, the more I think on it is this idea of tribulation, this idea of persecution, this idea of trouble. Uh, I shared this verse several weeks ago. I want to share two verses and talk about that because that's going to be a segue into our passage this morning. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples right before uh, probably the, 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 the most uh, powerful prayer that we see Jesus pray, the, the high priestly prayer, where he's pleading on our behalf for God to intervene on our behalf. But he says this to his disciples, and right before the high priestly prayer, right before the, the, the upper room, right before his death, burial, and resurrection. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. First, he says to us, in him we have peace. So I've just been asking myself this question, do I have peace amongst my circumstances? And it seems like every day the, the trials are different, the day is different, what comes at me is, is different. And so I ask myself, do I have peace in Christ Jesus? That's one of the promises in this text. The other promise we probably don't like so much. He says, in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we do have tribulation. We will have persecution. We will have trouble in this world. Now turn with me to James chapter 1. We know this passage well. James is writing to the 12 tribes that have been dispersed, and he says this to the 12 tribes. He understands that they're under persecution. He understands that who he's writing to, he's writing to us as well. In our discouragement, in our persecution, we can lose heart, and we can wander away from the Lord. But he says this to start off the letter to the church, to the believer. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we can take those two passages and all the other passages in the Bible and know that we will have persecution. And we can believe that God's sovereign hand is over our persecution. And God is using that persecution in our life to produce steadfastness. And in that steadfastness, he is using it to its full effect that we may be perfect or holy or set apart and complete, lacking in nothing. So we know and we can believe that God's sovereign hand allows us to be persecuted. He allows us to go through trials. He allows us to go through tribulation. He has allowed this last year to happen. But we must come to a place of believing that this morning and the days forward. You know, another thing that comes to mind is this, when it comes to steadfastness or, or patience. There's great things that come into our lives, into our world, because of both pressure and patience. One of our, our most valuable gems that we have is a diamond. Di diamonds are created under pressure over a long period of time. That, that diamond can't be fully formed without the pressure of the earth pressing in on it. It must go through trials and persecution to become what we know as a diamond. Many other things take a lot of patience to go through all that it has to go through to get to the place of perfection. And I wonder for you, and I, I know in my own life, how often I want to run through that process and quickly go through that process to get to the place I believe God has for me and will bypass and want to bypass persecution and tribulation and heartache and distress and all the things that are painful in my life. I, I want to run past that. And oftentimes I do run past that and oftentimes I have run past that and I, I wonder in our lives how much we will miss out on if we don't allow tribulation and persecution to happen. And, and I think Joseph is a beautiful example of a man that has gone after persecution from persecution to persecution to trial to trial to trial. And we have seen his steadfastness. We see that again here in the text. 
I'm going to get to the application at the end, but I believe Joseph can show us how do we remain steadfast. And so here we are in chapter 40. Remember where we left off last week. We left off with Joseph running for uh, safety, running from Potiphar's house because Potiphar's wife had grabbed him by the coat and wanted to sleep with him and desired that he sleep with her. And he says in that passage, I cannot sin against my God or my master. You see, Joseph was under persecution. Joseph was under trial, but he held strong to what his core conviction was, and that was to please and love God. And so he ran for his life. We can rewind to the beginning of his life. Remember that he had these dreams, and he told his brothers these dreams, and his brothers hated him for his dreams. And His father sent him out to check on the brothers, and he went under this persecution because of the hatred of his brothers, so much so that he was sold into slavery. That's how he ends up here in Egypt. And so now we see Joseph being brought before before Potiphar. Potiphar's angry. Potiphar throws him into prison, and this is what we hear in verse 23 of chapter 39 through 40, chapter 40, verse 4. We can call this Joseph's imprisonment. But it says this in the text. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because why? The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. We see and we know that Joseph is now in prison We know this for sure, that 11 years have passed since he was sold into uh, slavery. He was brought into Egypt. And we know that there's been 11 years. We're not sure how many are divided, how many were in prison, how many were him just being a slave. But 11 years this man has been displaced. A slave for 11 years. And now, not only is is he a slave, but he is also a prisoner. And we know from the psalmist that it wasn't this high and mighty and beautiful prison. He was under shackles, it says. His feet were under shackles. It was a harsh condition. And so here Joseph is sitting in prison for a crime he did not commit. Sold into slavery for a dream that he had. And yet we can see, and we'll see the heart of Joseph in a moment. But it says this, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and the baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He had put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. Why did he appoint them? Because we know that he had found favor in their sight or his sight because of God's being with him. He was appointed to Joseph to be with them and attend them. And they continued for some time in custody. So here's what we see. Here's where we're at. Joseph is in prison. He has now been elevated to a place in prison to, to watch over all the other prisoners. Some time had passed, we're not sure how long 
Joseph have been there. These two men arrive. And it says that these two men had sinned greatly against the king or against Pharaoh. So much so that Pharaoh was angry with them, throws them into prison. The two men are the cupbearer and the chief baker. Those are two uh, very distinguished, high-ranking offices in the kingdom. The cupbearer would have been this. We know this from Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And Nehemiah w- would have drank, drank, and this cupbearer would have drank or eaten anything that came before the Pharaoh. How, because anything that came before Pharaoh, the cupbearer would eat it first or drink it first to make sure no one was trying to poison or kill the Pharaoh. So everywhere that Pharaoh went, the cupbearer would just surely go out of protection of the Pharaoh. So we we know, and not only was it just this office, but they they had a huge uh, relationship, a tight relationship. Maybe even a a confidant, if you will, relationship. That that Pharaoh would have been with the cupbearer most of his days and would have shared many things with the cupbearer. The other gentleman was a chief baker. He would have been the person that was in charge of everything that the Pharaoh ate. He would have held strict dietary laws for Pharaoh. So everything that was prepared for the Pharaoh, the the baker had to be sure that it came out of the kitchen to the standard of the Pharaoh. Another high-ranking official. We're not sure what happened. I would assume, this is my assumption onto the text, because it's not in the text, but I would assume it had something to do with food or drink. I I don't think God, uh, in his goodness and sovereignty to us, when he gives us this word, gives these details about a cupbearer and about a baker. He could have chosen anyone. I, I believe because of that, something had happened around the king's food. This displeasure came upon the Pharaoh because of, the cupbearer, and the baker. So Pharaoh is so angry at them. It says in the text that they had sinned so greatly at him. He was angry at them and threw them into prison. Here Joseph is sitting in prison, maybe for years, maybe for months. We do not know. But what we do know this. That as harsh as his conditions were, as unjust as his conditions were, as unfair of the accusation that came against him, there are no words that Joseph uttered against God. If there was a man that was under pressure, if there was a man in the Bible, if there was a man in this story between these three men, we know for sure that Joseph was an innocent man. The other two men were not innocent. But Joseph did not utter a peep. He did not turn against God. He did not turn away from God. How come? Because of what it says in verse 39 of chapter, verse 23 of chapter 39. Because he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed without a shadow of doubt that God had been the one to place him there. He believed without a shadow of doubt, we'll see in a few moments, that God had given him dreams, that God was going to make him a ruler over his brothers and father and mother. So he held fast to that. He held on 
to the promises of God in the midst of adversity and the midst of persecution. And I wonder for you and I wonder for me, church, how often do we let go of the promises of God? How often do we run from the promises of God when our life gets hard? We turn our back on God and we want nothing to do with Him. And we can learn from Joseph this morning is that we continue to run to and with God because of His goodness, because of His sovereignty. You know, one of the promises of God comes to us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. You know this well. And as believers, as sons and daughters of God, we have to hold on to this promise when adversity, persecution, tribulation comes. Because this is what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans that what I have for you. You see, 2020, this was God's plan for God's people. He knew this before the foundations of the world that we would be here. This is the plan that God has for our lives. That's his sovereignty over us. And now he says, hey, even in these plans, even when it doesn't look like things are going to go well for you, even though you're in persecution, tribulation, and trials, I have a plan for you, declares the Lord. And that plan is this, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do we believe in the promises of God that God is out for our good, our welfare, not for evil? That God is going to give us a future and a hope? Those last two words are key to understanding the plans of God for our life. In the midst of persecution, we can hold on to the promise that he has a future for us and a hope for us. And it may not be this side of eternity. But in Christ Jesus, we have a future and a hope that is everlasting. We see that in the life of Joseph. And because of that, Joseph can do what he's going to do in verses 5 through 9. Joseph's interpretation. Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of these two men. It says this in the text. In one night, both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined to prison, each had its own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. What Moses is doing here is, is saying there were two unique dreams with two unique interpretations. They did not have the same dream. They do not have the same outcome as we'll see. There was two dreams. But then again, we see Joseph's heart in this story. It's one little sentence or one small part of a verse it says this we see joseph's great compassion when joseph came to them remember joseph was in charge of them he came to check on them that morning and he saw that they were troubled think, think about where joseph's at he's in prison Think about what Joseph has been done to him. Most people in his situation would not be looking at people that way. I know I often do not. 
when life is the way life is, when life is going the opposite direction I want, I become so inter-consumed that I can't see the outsides of other people anymore. But Joseph, in the midst of being in prison, he comes to them to check on them, and he notices that they're in trouble. And so he asks this question to both of these men. It says in verse 7, Why are your face downcast today? Not only does he notice something is wrong with them, but he engages with them when something's wrong with them. And Joseph was in prison. Again, I think we can learn so much from Joseph. In trials and tribulations, we cannot become inwardly focused. We must continue to have the eyes to see people, to have compassion on people. Over and over and over again, we can see Joseph is such a foreshadow of Jesus. Remember, in Jesus' darkest, darkest moments, when the, the mob came upon Jesus, and Peter cut off the ear of the soldier that was going to beat him, hacked to death, what does he do? He sees him and recognizes him and puts his ear back on. After Jesus is beaten to an inch of his life, he's hanging on a cross. And what does Jesus do when he sees the people from the cross? He has compassion on them. He sees them for who they really are. And he says to his father, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. When, when the thieves are on either side of him and the one thief is making fun of him and mocking him, mocking him, what does he do? Nothing. And what does he do for the other person that's on the cross with him? He forgives him and gives him a pass into heaven. He has compassion in the midst of his circumstances. And I wonder, church, for us, do we have this kind of compassion? The only way to have this kind of compassion is to remember the sovereignty of God. And God has placed us right where he wants us, in the middle of the circumstances. For our good. And if we believe that, then we'll move from inward focus to outward focus. And so he says to them simply, Hey, why are you so downcast? Why are you so sad? And they said, we had dreams. And there's no one to interpret these dreams. And so in that day, they would have woken up and they would have probably talked to cupbearer and, and the chief baker. Man, did you, man, I had this wicked dream. I had this wicked dream. They start talking about this dream. And in that day, they would have gone to, to someone outside of the kingdom for a fortune teller, to foretell the future of what this dream. They really believed that dreams had something to do with the future. And so now there's this distraught, like, hey, there, there's some similarities in our dreams, and when, something's going on. We need someone to tell us what's going on. So they're downcast because they have no one to tell them their dreams. And now we can see Joseph and his trust and belief in who God is. You have no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now again, rewind. 11 years. 
from this day. That would be the last thing on my mind is to ever tell someone a dream ever again. The last time he foretold his dreams to his brothers, his parents, what happened to him? He was sold into slavery. If I was Joseph that day, I, I would have said, nah, not me. I am not, I, I'm not doing that. Because the last time I did it, it did not end favorably for me. And I cannot allow something to not end favorably again. But what does he say in the text? Do interpretations not belong to who? God, he believed in God. He believed that that dream that he was given some 11, 12 years ago was going to come to fruition, not because he had the dream, but because he believed and trusted in the God who had given him the dream and told him what his life was going to be like. And so he says, I, I can't give you the interpretation, but God can, and God will. So please tell me your dream. So the cupbearer and the baker, the cupbearer first, reveals the dream. This is the cupbearer's dream, verses 9 through 15. I'll kind of just story tell it rather than, than read it all. There's, these, there's this vine. In his dream, he sees a vine. He sees three branches. And on those three branches, uh, suddenly out of nowhere, they uh, bud and then they blossom and then they turn into grapes. The cupbearer sees this in his dream, and in his dream he grabs those grapes, he crushes those grapes, and he puts them into a cup. Remember, he's the cupbearer. He, he would have put a lot of drinks and taken a lot of drinks to Pharaoh. This would have been something very familiar to him. And so he says to Joseph, this is my dream. This is what happened. And, and then Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, those three branches represent three days. And he says, three days from now, the, the Pharaoh is going to restore you back to your position. You're going to have the right hand to Pharaoh that you once had. This is a favorable outcome from you. And then he says, based on that favorable outcome to the cupbearer, he says to him, please remember me, show me kindness, and speak favorably for me. I want out of here, is basically what Joseph said. Will you do that for me? Will you take this petition and bring it before Pharaoh to get me out of here? So he ends the interpretation of that dream and he moves on to the chief baker. I wonder at this moment, the chief baker is eager to tell his story, eager to get the same outcome, eager to hear the favorable outcome from him. And he so he opens up with the dream, and he says this, I have these three cake baskets, these three baskets that are on my head, carrying, I'm going to the Pharaoh to eat. And in those baskets are all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh. I'm going with presents to the Pharaoh, is what he says. He says, but on my journey, on my way there, with the baskets being full, all three of them, these birds come out of nowhere, swoop down, and eat up all of the baked goods. And again, in this moment, we see the character of Joseph. Joseph knew what the dream meant. Joseph knew that the dream meant in three days, just like the cupbearer, you're going to be presented before Pharaoh. But unlike the cupbearer, it's not going to end well for you. And in that moment, we can see 
the character of Joseph. We can see the integrity of Joseph. That he was going to do and say exactly what God had told him and revealed to him about the dream. Again, if I'm Joseph, I'd be thinking to myself, there's no way I'm telling this bad news. Because the last time I told bad news, I ended up in a pit. And wait, I'm here at another pit in a dungeon again. I don't want it to get worse. But we see that Joseph did not lie to save face or protection. He simply told the truth. And I wonder for us, church, in the midst of adversity and in the midst of persecution and our desire to get out of it, how often will we lie, manipulate the process to get our way the way we want to get it? But Joseph said, no, this is what God has revealed to me, and I'll tell you the truth. He simply, in psychological words or psychological terms, he did not enter into codependency with this man. He did not allow what this man was going to do, say, or respond to affect him in any way other than simply telling the truth. He was going to allow the baker to have his feelings about his fate. And he was willing to deal with the fate of this man and what that may mean for his relationship with him. And so he says those three baskets represent these three days. The birds represent them eating up the food means you will not be restored to your position. And a matter of fact, he says to him, your head will be cut off from your body and you'll be impaled on a tree. Now think about this for a moment as we read in and on into the text. What do you think those three days were like for those three men? The waiting with anticipation. Joseph with the confidence that God was going to do what God had said he was going to do but still having to wait patiently to see if that was going to be true. The cupbearer waiting patiently or eagerly for his release. And the baker waiting for his demise. And then that third day arose, which brings us to the last point of the text, Joseph's irrelevance. Verses 20 through 23. On that third day, which was Potiphar's birthday. He made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. The interpretation came true. But there's this last verse that shows us again that it seems as if Joseph will be forgotten once more. He had one simple request to that cupbearer. Just remember me. When you have favor poured upon you, pour some of that favor on me and just tell the king, tell the pharaoh about what is going on down here. That he may let me out. Well, something between the day of telling the cupbearer, asking the cupbearer, 
and a cupbearer being restored. It says this in verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph or forgot about him. Just out of his mind. Forgot about Joseph. Joseph had spoken favorably to him. Joseph told him exactly what was going to happen. He, it happened exactly the way Joseph said it was going to happen. How would the cupbearer forget? You would have thought every moment that a, a part of the dream that came true, he would remember it. Joseph said that. Joseph said that. Joseph said that. But in the text it says he was forgotten. He was irrelevant to the cupbearer. And I wonder in those moments for Joseph. You see, we know how the verse ends. We know that he's forgotten. But I wonder day three, these two men leave the prison. There has to be commotion about what's going on at the birthday party. There has to be commotion that the cupbearer has been restored. And I wonder from that moment on, that afternoon when someone came into the jail cell, if Joseph was sitting eagerly waiting for his release. But day after day after day after hope after hope after hope, nothing. The text will later on tell us in chapter 41, after two whole years. Could you imagine? Maybe you can. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You have this hope, man, maybe tomorrow will be different. Maybe this afternoon will be different. Maybe this afternoon I'll, I'll get the diagnosis I was hoping for. Maybe I'll get my, the, the, my dreams of a, a marriage come true. Maybe I'll get the desires of my heart to have a child. And on and on, we have these hopes. And it seems like we've been forgotten. But again, Joseph in the text will see he never utters a complaint against God. He never turns away from God. He never gets disgruntled with God. He simply believes in the sovereignty and the promises of God. I wonder how often we feel forgotten, church. How often we feel like what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk, one verse two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And will you not hear me? Or cry to you for violence? And you will not save me. Do you feel forgotten this morning? Do you feel hopeless this morning? Let us be reminded of what the psalmist says in Psalm 13, you can turn there this morning. You'll see the same cry, the same angst, but then there's this moment in the psalmist where he believes in the promises and the goodness of God. He says this in verses 1 through 6, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemies exalt over me? Consider and answer me. Oh Lord, my God, lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Least my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But look what the psalmist says. He does not stop there. He brings his angst. He brings his complaint. He brings his hopes, his desires, his longings to God. And then he says this, but in spite of what I do not feel, in spite of what I do not see, in spite of what I do not experience, I'm going to hold on to your promises, God. But I have what? Trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in what? Your salvation or your deliverance or you saving me. And then he says, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, the first half of that chapter is all about the psalmist's angst about being forgotten. And he's just pouring it out. But then he's reminding his heart, his mind, his soul about the promises of God and being reminded of the promises of God, his steadfast love, his salvation. He said, I will trust you. I will rejoice in you. And then what? I will worship you because of your goodness your kindness, your love, your salvation, and on and on we go. Because why? Even in spite of my circumstances, even in spite of my trials, even in spite of my tribulations, you have dealt bountifully with me. And if all that we can say this morning is simply this, that God has redeemed our soul from the pit of hell, he has dealt bountifully with us. And so my plea to you, church, my plea to my own heart is this, that we would cry, oh God, where are you? And in God's sweet way, in a whisper to us through his word, we will be he will reveal his promises that he has dealt bountifully with us. Salvation belongs to God and God alone, Jonah says at the end of chapter 2. And we can hold on to that promise. The same way that we see Joseph holding on to those promises in the midst of his circumstances. Two years he had been forgotten by other people, by the cupbearer, by other prisoners, by his brothers, by his father, by his mother. But he knew he had not been forgotten by God and God was at work to accomplish his purposes in his life. The same way that Jeremiah can say what God said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. May we hold on to that this morning. God has a plan for us, a future plan and a hopeful plan. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you are good to us. You have dealt bountifully with us as the believer. God, we know even in your word that you have dealt bountifully with unbelievers. That's your grace, God. Still not pouring out what they deserve. You deal bountifully with mankind. We know this to be true. That you desire that no one perish. That is you dealing bountifully with us. 
And we also know this, in your sovereign will, you have chosen us as you dealing bountifully with us. We did not choose you. In your kindness, your goodness to us, you chose us. You poured out your Son to us. And you poured out your wrath on your Son so that that wrath may not be poured out on us. We're so grateful for that. Continue to remind our hearts of that. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me read the benediction to you this morning. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let my foot be moved. He keeps me from slumber. Behold, he holds Israel. He keeps Israel from neither slumbering nor sleeping. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shadow in, my right, in, in his right hand. The sun shall not strike by day or by night. The Lord will keep me from all evil, and he will keep my life. The Lord will keep me from going out, and he will keep me from coming in from this time forth. The Lord will keep you. Grace and mercy and peace be on you today. Amen.